I think that's the mistake that most people make is like, oh, okay, according to this formulation that this business course gave me, I should reach out to this guy, even though like he's the most boring person imaginable and I wouldn't want to have a conversation with him. That decision needs to be made first is that who you work with should be someone that you want to work with. What is up, you sexy bastards? It is your boy, Mr. Bookworm, aka Rabbi Canlose, aka Noah Kagan. In today's episode, I talked to self-improvement entrepreneur Dan Co. Now, this is a guy that I came across on YouTube, and I wasn't expecting much, and you know who I was. He was great. And so Dan runs a business community that makes over a million dollars a year. But just a few years ago, he was just a freelancer starting out that barely made anything. So how the hell did he do it? You can check out Dan's business community at the Dan Co. That's the Dan now, if you've ever wanted to learn about how do you monetize a personal brand, especially if you're just getting started and you're interested in an agency and running a business yourself, you are going to love this episode. In this conversation, you enjoy three gigantic things. One, how did Dan scale from 10,000 a year to two and a half million? Two, why you don't actually have to have a big following. I'm talking like less than a thousand people to bring in big money. And Dan will talk about what he did. And three, the exact four-hour schedule Dan lives by. Really, really good guy. Excited to share this episode. Enjoy those three things, plus a bunch more ear nuggets along the way. This interview is part of an upcoming YouTube video where we talk to successful solopreneurs making tons of money running a business by themselves. Go subscribe to my YouTube channel. That's youtube.com slash okdork to be notified when the video comes out. Also, if you want to launch your own business, but you don't know where to start or you haven't taken the first steps, you need some support and accountability and help. We have relaunched our course Monthly 1K for just 10 bucks. It's helped thousands of people start their business journey and I know it'll help you too. Head over to okdork.com slash monthly 1K. Also, special pre-show shout out to listener Hawkmail. He left a review saying, subscribe since 2017. My man. Probably the best podcast I've ever discovered this year. I love the interviews and advice. Dude, man, that, that was nice. That really made my day. And I, ever, and I love every other one of you gorgeous listeners. If you want to shout out in a future episode, you leave a review wherever you listen to this podcast. I check every single one of them. Who is Dan Co? For people that don't know you, like, I, I can imagine people out there being like, on. This guy's doing YouTube videos and now he's making two and a half million a year. Like, how did he do that? So my business at the moment is basically social media. I'm trying to, my entire goal and what I have fun with is just testing every single offer imaginable and seeing if I can make it work. So I've done consulting, coaching, freelancing, almost every type of digital product. Right now, the main ones are my community, which is like half self-improvement, half what I've learned in business, the actionable steps there. My other main product is digital economics, which is the same thing, but it's systems that I've kind of created along the way throughout that freelancing, consulting, coaching, whatever journey. Put it all in there, basically targeted towards creators, personal brands, people that want to talk about their interests online. That's my main angle, right? Talk about their interests and be able to monetize them. In terms of revenue, last year was $800,000 in revenue. And then this year, I'm hoping, I'm trying to project 2.5 million. This last month was my first $400,000 month in revenue. I <laughs> am the worst at tracking, so I couldn't give margins, but I would say that there are 85, 90% margins on that. And then in terms of my team, I have my roommate who is just across from this wall, who is my support guy and YouTube video editor. And then I have Joey Justice, who I've worked with a bunch in the past. We grew and helped each other, and he helps with community management in the Discord. And so that's it, really, in terms of team size. The main principles that I 
kind of operate by are self-experimentation and just iteration persistence. I like learning from courses and getting as many things as possible to test and try out myself. But that's exactly it. I, I don't like going the route of having things given to me like, oh, here's the perfect business system that you can implement today. More so, I just like to build things, break things. I've done that over the past three years and have kind of tried to push the boundaries of what people say is possible in business. Like the common advice is like, don't chase your passion, don't do this. And so my brain goes, okay, you may be right, but I'm going to try it out anyways and see if it works. And it's usually ended up working. What were you doing before this? My kickstart into online business was freelance web design. And so there's a long story that led up to that where I tried pretty much every skill imaginable. I tried to start like a, a content agency where I'm like outsourcing to Fiverr for like specific clients. And I tried digital art on Instagram. I tried doing an SEO, like freelancing with SEO. And eventually in college, I took a web development course. And that's the only college class that I was genuinely interested in. And so after school, I would go to the library and just study for another three to four hours on like free course platforms and even things like Udemy, where I'm just trying to learn as much as I can related to web development. My whole plan was, okay, I'm going to take this. There's a lot of promise here, not only in being able to freelance or do my own thing with this skill, but at the end of the day, if I absolutely have to, I can get a job with this skill as well without a degree. So that was kind of my escape plan. And so <laughs> the freelance web design ended up not working out the first time around. So I did end up getting a job at a web design agency and then like working there and studying, okay, they have a sales department, they have a marketing department. I'm going to talk to these guys, see what's actually going on. I understood the business processes a bit more. I was made aware of the skills that were missing in my stack. And then I was able to start freelancing for local service businesses. And then when I started the whole creator journey, I pivoted that offer to service-based creators, in a sense, freelancers, coaches, creators, consultants, and eventually pivoted into marketing consulting, sold that for a bit. Two years later, I don't want to drag <laughs> this story on too long, but now we're here. And so I'm using that experience as my base for expanding to all of these different platforms. One, it's super interesting because I think a lot of people, including myself, have done consulting or have done freelance or worked or been an agency. But I'm trying to get the, the jump because most freelancers are barely trying to, you know, if they can make $1,000 a month, it's a great deal. <laughs> so how did you, you know, last year do 800 and this year you're going to do two and a half? Like, what's the difference that, of what you did? Is it the fact that you were teaching and sharing on, online as a creator instead of just doing the service work? Like, what is that difference? It's distribution. So it's funny because I'm like closing on my first house this month in, in like a few days. And so when applying for the mortgage, the guy asked, like, what is this considerable jump? What led to this considerable jump? And at the end of the day, it was just traffic because I had iterated so much on the products that they were selling at the time when I had like, let's say 50,000 followers on Twitter. That's where I started, which is interest like Twitter of all things. And then eventually branched out to Instagram was kind of just doing YouTube for the sake of doing YouTube, stayed consistent with that. And then eventually that grew along with it. And so as Instagram surpassed my Twitter following, and now YouTube is on the verge of surpassing my Twitter following, just all of that traffic leading to those same products that have a 
not completely optimized, but like very good conversion rate, good fulfillment, etc. That's what it all led to. So this year was kind of like my ideas have been circulating in the creator economy for however long to now it's more people are talking about it. Exponential growth is kicking in. And so that leads to the exponential leap in income. Can we go back to the beginning of that? So you're doing services. How did you start transitioning from services into the creator revenue? In terms of like digital products and such? Well, yeah, it's just I'm, I'm curious to understand because I think a lot of people, like if people wanted to replicate your playbook to make maybe their first 10,000, like what was your journey to get there? That would be the service-based like freelancing. It'd be the typical advice of map out your ideal customer, figure out where they're hanging around online, learn how to send a decent DM in order to get them on a phone and then close there. But I kind of go against that now. I recommend that people start a personal brand no matter what. Like if you're a freelancer only doing cold email or prospecting on LinkedIn, but you're not putting out content that proves that you're an authority when they go to look at your profile and you're not potentially building an audience along the way so that you can pivot out of the manual cycle of just consistently sending messages to land clients to the point where you can, as I said, wean off of that bank more on your audience, start reaching out to people in your audience who know who you are and are much more likely to close on your service. And then from there, as your following increases, this is where like the turning point happened for me, where you have to be aware of how fast you're growing. Because if you're growing very fast with the right people in your audience, then you're going to get to a point where you can't take on that many clients. And so you're kind of forced to productize or you're forced to stunt your audience growth. And so that's a choice I've seen a few people make where they either stay or they continue to grow. And so at that point, that's when you either pivot more towards consulting because you can take on a bit more clients that way, I would argue, context dependent. But you can also repackage the system and results that you're already using in your freelance or consulting offer into a digital product that is positioned more towards a broad audience, like a broad beginner level audience to educate them to the point of signing onto your service. And then when as you grow larger and larger, again, you're going to hit a point where you can't take on that many clients. So then you have to productize that. And then it's a choice that people have to make for themselves, whether they want to go like huge, like big and broad, or stick around the medium and still be very specific, like have a very specific audience leading towards a specific service-based offer. I'm curious to your different salary levels or whatever you're comfortable sharing. It sounds like you, you're open about it. What were you making a year doing service work when you were actually doing client work? And then what was like the first year of the, the content creation work uh, up until now? Maybe give it a look. Because I think timeframes give people ideas of like, it's not overnight, but yeah, it can happen quickly or here's how long it takes. Yeah. So first year of service work, I was still at the job. And so again, I'm like the worst at tracking like everything. I don't even have Google Analytics on my website or like any of that. It's weird. I need to get on that. But if I can give like the best estimate I can without over-exaggerating things, because I want to care about accuracy, I know how the entire industry can get around that. First year, I would say it was less than $10,000 made, right? That was while I was at the job. And then as I learned more, and as I kind of became more serious about making it work, because the job did make me a bit comfortable, and I wasn't doing as much as I could, I learned more. I made my service more enticing. The whole, like you could probably read $100 million offers by Alex Hormozzi to (laughs) like 
have a better first iteration of your service than I did, where it was like, hey, I'll build you a five-page website or something like that. The second year was closer to $60,000. And then in that time frame, that was like on my own. I was closing in on like my first 100K made total only for that service business, like without building an audience. You're doing web design? Yes. So it was web design. And then once I learned how to create a better offer, I condensed that into, okay, we're going to make a like single page website. So it's more focused. And then we're going to have like an opt-in page. We're going to have better copy than most people can write and lead people into an email sequence that into an appointment sequence, I called it, where it gives some value for the first few emails. And then there's just like a year's worth of follow-ups that are split up in a non-annoying way that would ask them to book an appointment for that business's service, right? So there's a little increase in value there that I was able to charge more for and position myself differently from the other web designers in that space. Beyond that, once I got onto Twitter, for some reason at the start, I was very hesitant to try and work with people online. I don't know why, but I had this belief in my head where I had to start with local businesses. It just seemed like the best thing to go into. And so when I got online, got on Twitter, was kind of lurking for a bit, I realized like, hey, there's people here that could use my exact same system, this whole like appointment follow up with a single page website or landing page. And so that would work for fitness coaches pretty well. That would work for like performance coaches that I'm seeing. It may even work for freelancers like that are online. And so I started reaching out to other people, Joey being one of them, and was working with creators for free and just making friends with them as well. Because I knew that networking and building your network was a very important part of audience growth at the start. So I was reaching out to them. We were just talking in like Zoom calls, having a good time, and I was helping them with this stuff. And so then they would shout me out on their profile and we had this whole strategy of growing. And eventually those testimonials grew and grew as the creators did. And so I realized that and I'm like, I need to just go all in on targeting these service-based creators because if they're growing and I start small right now, then the testimonials are going to increase month after month as they grow. And I mean, testimonials are going to increase in perceived value. So the other creators in that little Twitter network that I'm in, when they go to my landing page and the testimonials are there and they see, oh, this 20K follower account that I really like has worked with this guy to fix his marketing, it makes sense, right? That they're going to go with me over someone else. And so that's the main progression. Like since I knew what I was doing and I hit that point of like, oh, okay, I know that I can make this work. I know I can charge more for these people. I know that this is just the route that I want to go into, the creator economy in general. I can see myself doing this for a long time, maybe not the service work, but that's how I'm going to get started. And so like, if I can put a number on it, I landed one to two extra clients a month doing it that way. And the service was 2,500 bucks at the time. And so added up however much, I don't want to give a number there, but can assume. <laughs> and then at the same time, it was an interesting dynamic because the first digital products that I released, I released around three to 500 followers. It was a web design course, like how to create websites. And so that was just like a course, how to use WordPress, SiteGround, Elementor, pretty basic course that just went over. It was like 47 bucks to start. How did that sell? It sold well, 
But so my strategy was because I was trying to target people that wanted to start freelancing. And with web design, it made sense for me to connect with like web developers because I knew that space very well. I was already following so many different web developers because I had that job and it was just something I was genuinely interested in. And so I reached out to a few accounts and one even offered to affiliate and he had like 20,000 followers at the time. And so he was plugging on his page and that was pulling in like 500 to 1,000 in revenue minus affiliate costs like from the start. And so I was like, okay, I see that this can work and that I don't have to use the traffic from my own audience to fuel these sales. And so as I learned more about the social media space, I reached out to someone who sold a similar digital product. And this is me following the principle of like buyers buy again. And from my personal experience, I know that I bought 50 different web design courses going into it. So I reached out to a guy who had 50,000 followers at the time. He was also selling a web design course. And I asked if he would be open to retweeting my content. And it was paid. I think I mentioned that, but paying him to retweet my content. So like influencer marketing in a sense. So when I wrote a tweet on web design, like actionable tips on web design or the importance of web design, like I'll spare you the actual content, but he would retweet that. And then I would plug my product under it. And so I'm getting the traffic from that 50,000 follower account to that post. And then when they click, see the promotion, they could buy. So I have screenshots of this, but my first month selling that product, I made $3,000 with three to 500 followers. And so that kind of solidified it for me as well, where it's like, okay, not only should I invest more in this influencer marketing shout out type deal, at least at the start, because it pulls in sales, but at the same time, I'm building an audience along the way and doing it this route, people are only following me because they actually like my content right? He, he's not doing any, oh, go follow this guy. He's putting out great information. It's just a retweet on my content where if they like what I'm saying about web design, they're going to organically click my profile, see if they like it and follow me. And then I have an engaged follower that way while making sales. Wow. I love the approach. And I love the fact that you don't have to have the biggest following to make the biggest money. I, I'm not saying it's the biggest, but like, I think there's something really powerful about that. Because I think people have this potentially wrong idea. They're like, I need all these people. Can you maybe uh, clarify a little bit? How did you make your first $10,000 with maybe the service work and then with the content work? The content one, it sounds like it's this course. With the service work, like how did you reach out to people to get your first clients? So the method I was using, I don't remember exactly. I wasn't using any kind of lead generation software. I was doing the super manual work. And this was like the very start of my freelancing journey was five years ago. The very start of creator journey was a little over three years ago. So at the very start of the freelancing journey, my method was, okay, I want to work with like pest control, construction, the service niche. I honestly just picked one because that's when everyone was talking about, oh, the most profitable niche, like you need to go and target gyms, you need to go and do this. And so I was like, pest control, they sound like they make money. Plumbers, they sound like they make money. And so I looked on Yelp, I just Google searched people in the area. And for some of them, I use an email scraper where it'll find the email on their website, or I just go to the website and do the manual prospecting of like, okay, I'm going to find this email, save it to my own spreadsheet, and then I'm going to come back and I'm going to send a well thought out cold email. I tried LinkedIn here and there. I tried cold calls here and there. And the whole network as well 
is very powerful where, where people tell you to reach out to your direct network. And so I knew someone who was selling mattresses. I also don't want to make it sound like I was super dedicated to this niche at the start of the plumbers, pest control, whatever. That was where I was focusing most of my cold outreach methods, but I would take on any work, right? And so I was reaching out to my friends, my families. I landed a few just from them sending referrals my way. And the rest really came from just being annoying with cold email, right? Sending the first message, making an effort to follow up like every two, three days until I get a response. Most of the time you have to have thick skin because they're going to tell you to fuck off. Like they, a lot of them don't want anything to do with it. But there's of course the one who's open to hearing more. They get on a call with you, you walk them through it, they close. And that's really the process where it's like, it was a major grind to make that first $10,000. And so that's why I say, I recommend starting a personal brand so you can attract and find people that you actually want to work with and be able to just reach out to them that way because you're immersed in the space. That's what I feel like a lot of people miss out on is when you're on social media, you're already following all of the people that you would potentially want to work with and you know them inside out. That's who you watch and that's who you consume. And so if they're not like mega celebrities and you're following these people or businesses with 10, 20, 50, 100,000 followers, where they're still active in the DMs and trying to grow their business, then it's just easy because you're scrolling. It's like, okay, I should DM this guy. And you DM them, give some form of value, either get on a call or pitch in the DMs. There's a lot of different ways to go about it, but you get what I'm saying here, where create content, interact with the little community you want to interact with, take your shots when you see them. And then with consistent effort, you're going to grow an audience and you're going to get your name and offer in enough people's mouths to the point where it's going to be very difficult not to make money. What does your team look like? The rough cost of it? And why did you decide to have freelancers? Yeah. So roommate, I'm paying him. <laughs> I'm paying him $3,000 plus I pay for his rent. So technically he doesn't pay rent and it's 3000 on top of that. For Joey, it's 3000 as well for the community management. And then software is like the main other cost, which is like 4000 ish a year for all of it, because community is insane and email marketing <laughs> gets up there when you have a lot of subs. My reasoning for keeping it small is because one, I just haven't put the time or effort into learning how to hire people. And I've never really had the desire to. I'll admit that I'm kind of tied to the one person business solopreneurship ideology, like it's a part of me and I'm working to conceptually survive that identity that I've formed. But at the same time, that's what makes it fun to me, where I'm not only very big on the one person business model, but I'm big on working four ish hours a day. We can talk more about that. But like my entire thing is my decision making sways around like whether I can do it as one person and whether or not it's going to compromise the amount of time I spend working and whether or not I can give full attention to the stuff that I actually like to do. And that is writing. Like writing and content is just something that I see myself doing for quite a long time. So you said you, you like to work four hours a day. Maybe can you walk people through like what your typical workday looks like? Yeah. And so the question that always arises is like, you, or you won't be able to work four hours a day every single day for the rest of your life. Completely agree. Like there's times where it's like bulking and cutting. I like to make the reference to bodybuilding. It's like there's going to be times where I work eight, 
12, 16 hours a day just out of pure obsession to reach that next phase of business. But then you get to the point where it's like you're nearing overwhelm, you're nearing burnout, you feel sluggish like you would if you were nearing the end of a bulking season. And then you have to cut back down and try to systemize the main components of that into four hours a day to sustain that new baseline that you've reached in business. And so my workday, like I've kind of settled on what it's going to be for a while. But first thing in the morning, I'm waking up at like 5, 5.30. I'm not the whole like, oh, everyone should wake up earlier. I just enjoy doing it. And I'll wake up, I'll go straight down, just walk, incline on the treadmill, do like 20 minutes of cardio because I'm cutting at the moment. <laughs> but at the same time, it, it wakes you up. It gets you up, it gets you moving, gets the blood pumping. And then I'll shower, do whatever I have to, and then just go straight into writing my book at the moment. So I structure things in 45 to 90 minute time blocks. As with the four hour workday, I'm very big on like conceptual deadlines. They don't have to be absolutely real, but if you're like even just having a timer and something in your mind that is telling you, okay, it's getting close to the time where you need to stop working, like Parkinson's law, I'm going to try to make that work. So I'll do about 45 to 90 minutes of writing in my book. And this time block is usually for like whatever pro new project I'm building at the time. So right now it's a book. Last, it was like the big course that I have. Before that was the community, so on and so forth. So main priority project happens first thing in the morning. And then after that, I write my newsletter for 45 to 90 minutes again, sometimes at a coffee shop, love coffee shops. But after that, that's when I'll check into my community, I'll answer emails. And this is just like another 45 to 90 minute cleanup time block. And then after that is when I'll usually have calls like this. And then after that, I like me and my roommate, we always go out to lunch afterwards. That's like our thing. So we'll go out to lunch, we'll rock around the town. And it usually takes two, three hours of just hanging out, resting, having a good time, come back. And I'll usually do a second check in, in the community. And then I cut myself off there. Rest of the night is like, I'll hang out, I'll read a book, binge some Netflix and make dinner. What software tools are you using to run all this stuff? So for almost everything, I use Kartra. I don't recommend or not recommend it simply because I've just been using it to the point where it would be near impossible to get off the platform, especially when there's like products hosted there, memberships, email marketing, all of my email sequences, newsletter, everything is in Kartra. And then the community is in Circle. Circle's like, it's kind of like a paid blog aspect with strategies, roadmaps. And then Discord is where like the synchronous communication takes place and everyone can talk. That's where I post updates, etc. So Kartra, Circle, Discord, Tweet Hunter for scheduling tweets. And so I, I didn't mention this previously, but the newsletter that I write is basically all of my content, where I'm spending 45 to 90 minutes writing that every single day, put that out on Saturday. The next week, that's used as a YouTube script, and that's put out as a video the next week. And then from that, I use that as idea generation for tweets. And of course, I'll write some tweets here and there just off the dome. Those are literally screenshotted or like formatted to be posted on Instagram. They're also used, my best tweets are used as scripts for reels 
and TikToks and shorts. And then I just copy paste tweets over to LinkedIn. And that's kind of like my top down content strategy that's been working surprisingly well. That sounds very similar to Justin Welsh. Yeah, we like strategize quite a bit. And kind of we definitely take from each other here and there. We're, We're pretty close. Like we'll talk every now and then, but I'll see him. I've definitely taken things that I've seen from him work. And I've seen him like start to implement the newsletter promotions that I do, because that's also how I promote. Not only is my newsletter the like foundation of most of my content, but I backlog that newsletter to the blog. And at the end of it, and some links in the middle, that's where I promote my products and services, right? And so then when I go to film a YouTube script, those promotions are included in there as well. And then when I write the tweets and put those out, rather than plugging my course or community, or in many cases, like a consulting or freelancing offer here, it's already in my newsletter. And so when I write a tweet related to that newsletter, I just plug the newsletter under the tweet, people go to that newsletter. And then not only is there an opt in at the top, so that's how I gain newsletter subscribers, but they can read it. And that's how I generate sales. So it's like a holistic machine. I like it. I I guess I was reflecting on one, my brother's a doctor, and I think he always is kind of like, Dan doesn't have a certificate uh, doctor to be a teacher in this capacity. And I think I, I also admire that we're in a day and age where if you can teach people, and it's not always the person who's winning the medals that's getting the trophies, it's the person who's actually able to influence and, as you said earlier, distribute. And I think more people, I'd love to hear, have them hear you and say like, hey, you don't have to do a service based forever, like document your service stuff. And maybe that's where you can transition. So I think that that's awesome. You know, if someone wanted to do this and make like a million dollars or more, like what would you recommend for them? Because I wonder, is this applicable in a lot of different verticals? I, I would bet it is. Yeah. By verticals, give me an example. Well, I was just saying like you're doing it for like kind of web design, specifically web design. Is there stuff for is there a marketing aspect? Is there like an Uber driver aspect? Is there like you guys have a playbook where it's like, we create yeah. content, we do it this way, we have a vertical, and instead of doing the service, we've productized our service. Yeah. Like, I can't speak for every single industry or vertical imaginable. Like, eternal markets, that's usually when I talk about this business model, that's the direction I approach. It's solving your own problems, like, inward, personally, and then iterating on a service outward that can eventually be productized. And the way that I frame it is... Like you kind of choose a domain. It's health, wealth, relationships, happiness. You pick one of those, you set a goal within that area. So let's say it's the health space. And so you set a goal, okay, I want to get healthy. And then you notice a problem or you start experimenting to solve your own problems by whatever modality available. So it could be the vegan diet. It could be the carnivore. It could be weight training. It could be running, CrossFit, like whatever is most interesting to you, you just experiment with it. This is a longer term approach than like someone who already has the expertise and can start like package up into a service immediately. This is kind of my way of like, here's what you need to do in order to have enough experience to be able to package up into a service, at least a minimum viable offer for 500 to 1000. And then you get the experience after that by either doing work for other people and getting real world results or just going straight, like with the health space, it would be going straight into the coaching or consulting aspect and filling in your knowledge gaps and seeing if you can get results for other people. And then from there, creating a better system, increasing your prices. At this same time, you should be distributing content and building an audience. And then that's when you 
slowly start to productize. You said something earlier, which I like, which is networking has been advantageous, especially if you're small and you, you know, you do cold reach outs. I'm curious how you, and I think, you know, on your blog, uh, the danco.com, as well as on Twitter and YouTube, like how do you, what, what are some of the ways that you think about when you message someone to get them to respond or engage with you? The very first thing is take into account, like if you actually want to message them, I think that's the mistake that most people make is like, oh, okay, according to this formulation that this business course gave me, I should reach out to this guy, even though like he's the most boring person imaginable and I wouldn't want to have a conversation with him. That decision needs to be made first is that who you work with should be someone that you want to work with. And so as you're online, you're interacting with content, you're like, oh, okay, this guy's tweet is great. I want to reach out to him. And it can get more specific if you plan on like, like just for the sake of building a network and not necessarily selling someone on something, it'd be smart to reach out at the beginning to as many big players as you can. And by big players, I mean anyone over like 10,000 followers. And from there, you see a piece of content of theirs that you like, that genuinely resonated with you. You send that to them. So like just copy paste the tweet into a DM to them and be like, hey man, this really hit home. Talk about a personal experience you've had related to that tweet and just give them praise, right? It's the law of reciprocity where you're giving them praise, you're making them feel good and they're going to feel somewhat obligated to respond, at least with like a thanks. And then after that, that's when you can start generating interest. You generate interest by being interested in them. You start asking questions. That's my favorite way to do it is you try to find the thing that they're passionate about and that they are building. And so when you're online, that's pretty easy to find. You go to their website, they have a product. If the product looks cool, then I'm going to message them about it and be like, what's your goals with Modern Mastery? Like it, it looks super cool. What's the next play? And they'll usually talk about it, especially if they, if you don't put off the vibe where you, like it feels like you're getting a bit salesy. You know what I mean? Like just genuinely ask, like text them like you would text a friend, like what's going on with this? Like what's the next move? I'm genuinely curious. I want to join. And then they'll answer. And from that answer, you can either ask another question or you can just take mental note of it because this is where you come in with value. And you don't necessarily need value to give up front. So let's say they are planning to take, or I'm planning to take Modern Mastery to $50,000 a month. And from that, I'm talking to myself here, but as I'm online, like I can research online to either find an article or a video or a podcast and just try to find something that could benefit that situation. Show that I'm trying to give value to them. And then from there, you can continue doing that, right? The people that I've grown the closest with, Dickie Bush is a great example of someone that does this, where he was just sending me free game for like weeks. Like we had this brief discussion in the DMs and he just kept sending me articles. He's like, hey man, saw this, thought of you, thought you could benefit from it, that's it. And he did that like three times in a row and like Dickie didn't plan on selling me on anything. But if he came in one day and he'd be like, hey, I wonder if you'd be interested in X, Y, and Z, I would be 10 times more interested in it. And I would have to respond whether or not it's a yes or a no. I like that a lot. You've changed from service to like teaching online and with your as a content influencer. Like how have you enjoyed the any purchases or enjoying the money as a solopreneur? Oh, <laughs> so my first, uh, first $50,000 month, I bought a new car. And I don't think it was a mistake. I think it's like, the first thing that most people think of is like, I'm going to buy a car. 
And so I bought a new car and then bought a flight to Costa Rica for the girlfriend I had for a week at the time. And then we broke up after being there for a day and flew back. So that was, <laughs> it's like, it was a, it was a shit show all around. Uh, so I bought a new car and then had like a glorious trip to Costa Rica. That was the first thing. Right now I'm buying the house. So that's like the next major purchase. But aside from that, I haven't really done anything. I, I eat at nicer places now. I really like nice dinners. That's my favorite. <laughs> aside from that, no, I just like lifestyle is kind of the same. For the money you're making, how much of it is this community aspect? How much is the course aspect? This actually may be a value if, if you have the time. Recently, like I have been such a huge fan of the cohort model. I think the logical progression now isn't going straight into like a do-it-yourself digital product right after you do freelancing or consulting or some kind of service business. A cohort, brief explanation, it's pretty much like a guided course, right? You have group calls going through a course. And the reasoning behind that is because you structure the promotions. The scarcity is baked in. Like you have scarcity without trying to be that sleazy marketer, quote unquote. And right now I have the big course, Digital Economics, which is $9.99. But then I'm running quarterly promotions on certain aspects of that cohort. So this last one that I'm actually in the middle of running right now, it's 14 days, it's four calls, webinar style, 150 bucks, and it goes over the brand and content aspect. And so by doing that every quarter, I have structured promotions and scarcity that I run for like three weeks that you just see massive uptick in revenue and it gets people into the bigger course, right? So not only does it get a lot of the people that wouldn't be able to afford the bigger course and still deliver a fuck ton of value to them, but it gets people to see the bigger course and a lot of them buy. In that 400K month that I mentioned, the cohort itself made $100,000. The big course, so the 999, which was selling on its own, but then the cohort promotions helped fuel that as well. That was about $150,000. And then I have another course, which is broken off from that big course standalone as well, called Two Hour Writer. That was around $100,000 in sales as well. And then the community is at, last time I checked, it was $38,000 a month-ish. That's like been slowly increasing. Communities, like I'll admit, my churn rate is through the roof. I don't know if that's the same for every community, but like I know SaaS churn rates are like something you have to keep an eye on. I'm genuinely curious to see what churn rate is for other people's communities. I don't know the percentages. I just know like when I look at the analytics, I have as many cancellations as I do current subscribers. And this is of course over the last like two years of having that community. So maybe it's not that high, but it's slowly growing. We're at 2,400 members right now. And so, yeah, that's the breakdown. Last thing, what, what's the best and worst thing of being a solopreneur or best and worst things? They all change. Like uh, the best thing, of course, is like the ability to choose what you do clearly. But I don't think a lot of people realize that you have that option. You didn't say this directly, but you may have hinted at it, is that some people don't think they can pivot from freelancing to consulting or even consulting to digital products. In my eyes, there's always something you can do to be able to manipulate your lifestyle. There's always something you can do. And if you can't, then it's like, I either need to grow my following more or I need to increase the value of my product or service. 
And then you can use that free time to kind of structure your day however you want. So that's the huge bonus is just being able to consistently iterate towards a more enjoyable lifestyle. The worst thing is kind of that as well. It's getting stuck in this place where you aren't able to live your desired lifestyle because you took on too much without realizing the negative ramifications of that. And then you have to stick that out because like your reputation's on the line. You have to be responsible for the things that you take on or else you're fucked. And so then after once that's over and you can slowly like work towards something better, that's really it. For me is with AppSumo, it is nice. Like I have someone I was just got out of a meeting that helped me with my scheduling. And then there's someone that like, to me, I'm sort of like, damn, the solopreneur life, maybe this is my next kind of gig was just, just solo. But I think there's times where like, I don't want to do this part of it. Yeah. Since I haven't had like a, a big team, I'm diving into that now. I'm like building a, a software at the moment. So that's hopefully something I'll experience later on is like I am branching into that non-solopreneur space because I don't have too much to compare to right now. So it's the whole ignorance is bliss thing where if I knew that life was better having a bunch of employees, then I'd hate what I'm doing now or potentially hate parts of what I'm doing now. But as of right now, there's nothing that I like absolutely hate that I wouldn't be able to change. That's a wrap. I hope you loved it as much as we did sharing it. I think Dan is super damn interesting. Go check him out at the Dan Co. That's thedanko.com to learn more about him. Next, text a friend you love him. Yo, dog, let's go axe throwing together. I've done it. I think it's a little overrated. Before you go, tweet at me, TikTok me, love me. At Noah Kagan, let me know what you think of the episode. I like hearing from you. Also, go check out tidycal.com. This is a product that we've made. It is free to use. There is no subscriptions. If you want to do scheduling, and you can actually put charges on your scheduling so that people can pay to talk to you. That is tidycal.com to get, I would say, the simplest and most affordable scheduling tool online, tidycal.com. Finally, a couple of shout outs to the amazing team who makes all this happen. Thank you to Jason at podcasttech.com for the editing. Hi, Jason. Love you. Smooches. Thank you to Mitchell, Jeremy, George, Cam, Sasa, Nikki, and Jen from the Dork team for all the magic y'all do. And finally, shout out to the design team of JR and Joseph at AppSumo. Thanks for working on our newest select deal video thumbnails. Uh, they've redone them to make our YouTube channel for AppSumo a little bit more clickable. You can check that out, youtube.com slash AppSumo. Have a marvelous day. What's your favorite tea? And don't say iced tea the rapper.